After our prayer time this morning, I received uh, this request from Christina Dougherty, uh, asking that we pray uh, for his brother's wife's sister. Uh, Christina, how do I pronounce that name? Miley? Okay. Uh, she uh, is pregnant with twins, but she just had a massive aneurysm and stroke, and she's having brain surgery today. Uh, so this is a very serious situation, and we want to take a moment to pray for her before we begin the sermon this morning as well. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the knowledge that you are good and that you are present with us in our uh, deepest trials. And Lord, we pray this morning for Miley and for the surgery that she's going to undergo, and, and Lord, for the family, as Lord, we're sure that they are uh, feeling quite burdened and overwhelmed at this time, Lord. We ask uh, that your hand would be upon this situation, Lord, that you would do good to this family, that you would uh, use the doctors, and, uh, and that you would be at work to uh, bring about healing and health. Lord, we pray that you would protect the children, uh, uh, and Lord, that you would be uh, Lord at work in ways that are obvious to all uh, that it is your hand that is bringing them through. Lord, help the family, Lord, to, to, to lean upon you. Lord, I, I pray for Christina as she undoubtedly is feeling doubly burdened this morning with all that is going on. Uh, Lord, may your spirit uh, move mightily in this family. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. morning we continue our study of 2 Corinthians and today we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 12 through 22 that's found on page 964 in the pew bibles if you'd like to follow along there it will also be projected on the screen behind me 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 12 through 22 the Apostle Paul writes, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. 
For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and, ha and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, understand that last week as we began our study of 1 Corinthians, we got a little bit of the, the context in mind. Uh, 2 Corinthians is actually probably Paul's at least his fourth letter to the church in Corinth uh, last year. And uh, going up into the summer, we completed a study of 1 Corinthians. And we, we found there that Paul was writing to a church that had a lot going on, a, a lot of problems that were, that were rooted in their own uh, fleshly nature, which we can all relate to. First uh, Corinthians was also written to uh, answer questions that the church had written to Paul, and so he's responding to those. Uh, and uh, what happens next is after First Corinthians is, is written, um, Paul makes a visit to Corinth, and he is not well received. Enemies within the church have stirred up the church against him, and. Uh, as Paul arrives, he, he finds his authority and, and position as a, an apostle under attack. And so Paul leaves, uh, writes what has been referred to as his severe letter to the Corinthian church, where he addresses the problems there, and, uh, which is well received by the majority of the congregation. And then here again, in, uh, he writes what we refer to as 2 Corinthians to both commend their response to, uh, to his severe letter, but also to encourage them to continue on in faithfulness. And what we find here in the beginning of 2 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul really defending himself against some of the charges that are made against him. We're going to see that fleshed out in our passage this morning. Paul has been challenged concerning his integrity. Integrity is a word that we don't use a lot anymore, but it's a word, especially in the body of Christ, that, that should mean a lot to us. Integrity represents whether or not we can be trusted by others. And, and integrity represents whether or not we are, are people of our word. Integrity represents our willingness to, 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 to live out our faith in sincerity before a lost and dying world. Integrity is our dependability. These are, are all important aspects of, uh, of what it means to be people of integrity as, as followers of Christ. Are, are we going to be people like, like, like the boy in the story of the boy who cried wolf? You all remember that story? Where he was deceptive over and over again, and when the wolf finally showed up, what happened? No one believed him because he had no integrity. People had lost their faith in him. 
Or will we be people who can be depended upon? Will we be people when the bad report is, is given about us that the first question they, that comes to their mind is, wait a minute, that doesn't quite seem right. That's, that's not who they are doesn't mean that people can't make mistakes, doesn't mean that people don't sin, but, but, but we want people to think of us when a charge is raised against us is, wait a minute, that doesn't seem to fit with their character. That's integrity. Paul's integrity is under attack. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 22, he begins to answer those charges against him. And he does so into the passage we're going to look at next week, Lord willing, as well. But Paul wants to make it clear that, that, that he has not changed. He, he is a man of his word. And even though his plans may have had to change concerning visiting the church in Corinth, that does not mean that he cannot be trusted or that he is somehow a duplicitous man. This morning we're going to tackle this passage under three headings. We're going to begin really with, with, with what could be considered our application. One of the, the struggles as we work through for, uh, 2 Corinthians is, is, is how much Paul gives uh, biography in this book. So we're going to deal a lot with what Paul said and what Paul did and try to draw application from that. That's a little more difficult than when he just writes, this is what you ought to do. But there's still much we can learn first heading we're going to consider is is the importance of having a truly clear conscience and then we're going to consider the principle that we really see throughout scripture this idea that that although man makes plans it is God who directs our path and we're going to see how that plays out in Paul's life and how even though his plans changed his integrity did not and my hope and my prayer through this is that as we consider Paul's self-defense to the Corinthians, that, that we consider our own integrity and our own walk within the body of Christ, but also before a watching world. And it's my prayer that God would raise up and would confirm in us the importance of, of not just allowing our yes to be yes and our no to be no, but that we carry ourselves in such a way that it is undeniable to all who know us that, that the priorities that we are living for are not our own but the Lord's priorities for our lives. So let's look first at verses 12 through 14, the importance of a truly clear conscience. Paul writes, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we boast of you. Importance of a, of a, of a truly clear conscience. Paul begins verse 12 with the word for, and that ties us to really what we looked at last week. Paul wrapped up his, his description of, of, uh, of their dependence upon God in the midst of dangerous situations by calling the church to pray for him. He's connecting his ministry tightly with the ministry of prayer of the church in Corinth. 
saying, listen, guys. This is me writing to you. I've been accused of, of, of being duplicitous and, and not being a man of my word. But, 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 but it's me. It's Paul. I'm the one who brought you the gospel. I, I love you. I'm your father in the faith. I want you to understand the, the heart behind not just what I wrote in 1 Corinthians, not just what took place when I visited with you and, 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 and it was a bad visit, it was hard for me, it was painful for me. I want you to know there's more to me than, than, than simply the severe letter where I called you to do what is right in this situation. I love you. Again, remember the last time Paul was there was not a good visit. It was painful for him. We'll find that as we continue in, in the, this letter of 2 Corinthians that Paul references how this affected him. He, he had been questioned, his fitness for ministry, his authority, which led to the severe letter. But what we learn from this, with, with all of this interaction, is that sometimes love compels us to do the right thing, or it should always compel us to do the right thing, but sometimes the right thing is the hard thing. Now put yourself in Paul's shoes for a moment. Paul had every reason to respond in the flesh. I, I want to remind you about what he writes in 1 Corinthians concerning his ministry. Remember when Paul came to Corinth? He decided he would not ask the church for any support because he did not want them to equate his ministry of the gospel to them with the practice of the traveling philosophers to pass the plate every time they stood in the public square and gave an oration. He wanted the gospel to, to be in no way linked with any of the worldly philosophies, so he sacrificed in order to minister to them. I'm sure it would have been very easy for Paul to say, after all I've done for you, you, you you've chosen this. You're going to reject me over this, th this change of plans. Paul suffered. His, his, his reputation was under attack. If there was ever a, a time to be tempted, let's be honest, when we feel we're under attack, how do we respond? We, we, we become defensive. We want to justify ourselves. Paul had every reason to, to throw a pity party. <laughs> Paul had every reason from a fleshly perspective to, to write off the church in Corinth, but that is not what he does. In fact, Paul says, listen, my conscience is clear as it relate, relates to my ministry to you, Corinthians. In spite of all these reasons that, that I could give into the flesh, I want you to know that, that my conscience is clear. It says, I, I've behaved towards you with simplicity, which means holiness, single-mindedness. Contrast that with the charge against him. That, that Paul is, 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 is double-minded. He, he can't be 
trusted. He said he was going to come, and we're going to look at this in a moment. And in 1 Corinthians, he wraps up that letter by saying he's going to come one time, but now he's coming twice. We, we, we can't trust Paul. Paul says, listen, no, I, I have not responded to you with double-mindedness. My focus has been clear and sincere in my love for you. I've been holy. I've set apart my ministry for your good. Godly sincerity means that it's been God-honoring pure motives. He has withheld nothing good from the Corinthians in his ministry. And he contrasts that with what he's been accused of. Earthly wisdom, fleshly sinful, worldly wisdom. Paul is setting a contrast here and he's saying, listen, my ministry and relationship with you has, has taken place with the help of God's grace, with, a, with an eye to what is good for you, not looking out for my own interests and, and being worldly in my thinking. In verses 13 and 14, we see that, that, that Paul was confident that on the day of judgment, he would be vindicated in the eyes of all concerning his ministry to the Corinthians. His message never changed. His, his goal was their good and their growth in the Lord. Even the, the conf confrontational and hard things that, that he had to write and say were all done in love. And brothers and sisters, for us, we need to understand that, that, that for us to cultivate truly clear consciences in our relationships with others, our consciences must be informed and guided by Scripture. Now, Paul was obviously writing Scripture, but he was one who was so key on wanting to honor God in all that he did that he went out of his way to be sure that he didn't set forth any stumbling blocks to the gospel as much as was humanly possible. He wanted sin to be the stumbling block because the gospel calls us to repent of our sin. Brothers and sisters, we must remember that in seeking to honor God and how we deal with others, that, that this really is one of the highest motivations that we can pursue relationally in this life. Every encounter that we have is an opportunity to glorify God. It is an opportunity to build one another up. And for us to do so, that, that'll mean a, a thicker skin in some circumstances. But, but to always weigh what we do and say in love. And that's the example that Paul sets forth here. His conscience was clear because he loved them well. And so should we. In terms of integrity, R.C. Sproul says this. The Christian is to reflect the character of God. The, the Christian is to be uncompromising with respect to ethical principles. The Christian is called to be a person of honor, integrity, whose word can be trusted. 
This was no small charge in Paul's eyes because the validity of his ministry, not just in Corinth, but to all the churches was being called into question by these charges that he could not be trusted. And so Paul begins by making the case, my conscience is clear in how I have cared for you, Corinthians. And then in the, in the second half of the passage, he goes on to describe his thought process and what was going on. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we have to live for more than what is easy or comfortable. Our lives must more and more reflect the character of God who saved us. Now, much of contemporary Christianity doesn't revolve around that way of thinking. I mean, what, what we read, what often we hear, it's very sensual in nature in that it, it really focuses on how it makes us feel. Now, the gospel should make us feel something. Worship should make us feel something. I'm not anti-feel. But we need to understand that those feelings must be informed by the authoritative word of God. We, we don't worship a God of our own imagining. We don't follow a Jesus who fits our fancies. And as we learn to go to God and to his word, we understand what God calls us to and how he reveals himself to us in his word. And that, as we behold God as he has revealed himself, that is where our character is transformed. And we develop that integrity that we so desperately need. Paul continues in verse 15. He says, because I was sure of this, that he's going to be vindicated, that at the day of judgment, when they're all standing before God, the Corinthians are going to be proud of Paul, just as Paul is proud of the Corinthians. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to, to come to you first so that you may have a second experience of grace. I, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. Listen, I, I had plans, and, and in light of all the problems that existed within the church in Corinth, Paul wanted to come back to them. When he wrapped up 1 Corinthians, he thought one visit would be enough. Turns out, that wasn't the case. We see Paul's original plan. Whew. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. I expect all of you who are here to remember this verse, these verses, but maybe not. Paul wrapped up Corinthians with these words. He said, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want 
to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. So all of this scuttlebutt and the problem that is going on in Corinth is because Paul decided to come twice. But Paul's enemies saw the opportunity to attack over that. I said, listen, I had planned to do it this way, but my love for you compels me, the Lord compels me to come a second time in order to care well for you. He says, I want you to, to experience a, a second experience of grace. And, and there's two ways that this is understood. The, the, the first is in terms of Paul saying, listen, I want you to benefit twice from my being with you and caring for you. But, but I think actually Paul has a, has a deeper meaning in mind. I think he's referencing the opportunity that he wanted the church to have to be able to partner with him financially in ministry. He, he wanted to take a collection for the poor in Jerusalem who were suffering for their faith. Well, Sam, where do you get that from? Well, I'm glad you asked. As we continue in 2 Corinthians, when we get to chapters 8 and 9, Paul deals explicitly with this idea of taking the collection and giving. It's, it's from these passages that we have developed our own New Testament understanding of what the, how the Gentile church is to give. Generously, joyfully, not under compulsion. But he refers to the offering as an act of grace. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-7. through 7. Paul writes, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace, giving. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So I think Paul is, 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 is laying the, the foundation here to say, listen, there's, there's more to come. This act of grace is more than just my, my presence with you, but it's also your partnership in the ministry. It's your partnership in caring for your brothers and sisters in Christ who you don't even know, but who are being afflicted. Again, Paul's change of plans led, led, led to them accusing him of being double-minded and untrustworthy. But in reality, his change of plans was the result of God redirecting his steps rather than his own desires. Paul is, is with them for their joy. We're going to see that next week. That's his goal. He, he wants to see them built up and strengthened in their faith. Paul planned one thing. It wasn't a bad plan to, to think about coming once, but God revealed their deeper need. 
And Paul's change of plans didn't reveal double-mindedness, but loving obedience that he had for the church. Man makes his plans, but God directs the path. Verse 19, Paul continues, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Paul says, our word to you has not been yes and no. In other words, they weren't knowingly misleading the Corinthians. Paul doesn't say in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to come to you once, all the while thinking, you know what, I'm going to slip another visit in there to surprise them. That's not his goal. He was driven by a higher purpose. And the yes in the Lord means that God's promises and purposes will always take priority. What, what, a, what a great example from the Apostle Paul. I had intended to do this, but it became clear that God wanted me to do that for your good. And we know that from our study of, of 1 Corinthians and from Philippians and from Romans, that, that Paul is all about God's glory in his life. Oh, that his people would be about God's glory in our lives. Paul's attitude toward the changes that God had brought about in his plans was, was submission with joy. You, you, you don't see Paul making an aside, well, you know, I wanted to do it this way, but, but God said that way is better, so, so I, I better do that. No! I want to do this. Wait, it's clear God's calling me in other directions. Yes, Lord, whatever you say. And then Paul, in verses 20 and 21, emphasizes that, that, that work of God, or the work of the Trinity in our salvation and our sanctification. And, and he really reminds us where he stands. And listen, guys, you're, you're, you're believing charges against me over something that is, that is silly when you consider the common salvation that we have in the Lord. But there again, we see in verses 20 and 20, 21 and 22, the, the Trinity laid out clearly. It is God, the Father, who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and given us uh, and who has also put his seal upon us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We all share these things in Christ. This is God's work among us. And brothers and sisters, God has every right to do as he pleases with us. Because even the hard things are for our good. This should humble us, brothers and sisters, to recognize that, that, that our plans are not always our own. It should humble us and, and, and make us open to, to, to what God might do in our lives if we are willing to, to yield ourselves to his leading and his guiding, guidance in our lives. 
Spurgeon writes, Because we do not what, know what is to happen tomorrow, we should be greatly humbled by our ignorance. That should be my life sentence. We think we are so wise, do we not? And we make a calculation that we are sure is correct. We arrange that this is going to be done and the other thing, but God puts out his little finger and removes some friend or changes some circumstance and all our propositions fall to the ground. It is better for us when we are low before the throne of God than when we stand up and plume ourselves because we think we can say, oh, I knew it would be so. See how well I calculated? With what wondrous forethought I provided for it all? Had God blown up our plans, they would have all come to nothing. We know nothing for sure. Let that thought humble us greatly. Now, the Spurge was not anti-planning. But he was very much pro-recognizing who was very much in charge. And we too should learn from that example. So what about us? Really just a few things I want you to take away from Paul's example this morning. First of all, as those who have been saved by God's grace, we must be known for our integrity. We started with this. We need to close with this. We will face opposition in this life. We will mess up. But how will we respond? Will it be with integrity or will we seek to cover ourselves and, and, and try in our pride to, 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 to deny what is true and real about us? We must cultivate truly clear consciences and this can only be hap happen through the work of the Spirit as we grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. We must prioritize His Word in our lives, brothers and sisters. We must also keep in mind the principle from James chapter 4 as it relates to our plans and priorities. James writes, Comes now, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We plan and prioritize, but we do so recognizing that God may have other plans for us. We need to be open to that. It is wise to plan. It is wise to prepare. And it is wise to remember our place before a sovereign God. We must remember that we do not have total control of our agendas and this should make us more patient with others as well. As much as we can, we should seek to order our lives according to God's purposes rather than a self-serving agenda. Our lives are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And we must never cease to be grateful for all God has done or forget his great love for us. So we need to be humble before God. We need to prioritize lives that are honoring to God 
And we need to take time to glorify and rejoice in the God who saves us. Brothers and sisters, we will fall short. We will struggle. We will fail to measure up to what we have called to. We, we, just as others fail to measure up to our expectations, we do the same. We do the same for our expectations, and more importantly, we do the same for God's expectations. But the beauty of the gospel is that we live in God's grace and God's mercy. You are no less saved on your weakest moment than you are in your most sanctified moment because it is Christ who saves you. And so I want to close by reminding you from Tozer of the love of God for his people. He, God, remembers our frame and knows that we are dust. He may sometimes chasten us, it is true, but even this he does with a smile. The proud, tender smile of a father who is bursting with pleasure over an imperfect but promising son or daughter who is coming every day to look more and more like the one whose child he is. What a beautiful picture of the grace of God and the love of God towards us, his imperfect children. And so while a passage like this, which emphasizes an area that we know we all need to grow in, integrity and faithfulness before God, we can recognize that even in our weaknesses, even in our stumbling and bumbling efforts at faithfulness, that God is looking down on us. And because of the faithfulness of Christ, His attitude and orientation towards His children is with a loving smile of a father. Not that he passes over our sin, but in the sense that it does not matter to him, but that Jesus has paid the price for them. He has died to set us free to live for his glory, brothers and sisters. Will you prioritize his glory in your life? We must. Let us pray. Lord, you have not called us to live for worldly fame or possessions. You have not called us to live for our own fleshly pleasure. But you call us to live in faithful submission to you and to your word. Not because you are a tyrant, but because this is where true joy is found. Lord, would you help us in this coming year as your people to recognize that when we lose ourselves in living for you, that we, that is when we find true life indeed. That is when we develop integrity and clear consciences and faithfulness and we are of eternal use for your kingdom. And Lord, for those that, that truly know you and love you, there can be no higher calling on our lives. So we ask that by your grace and mercy, you would make it true in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.